yard touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? Ah, the football, it is good. Welcome to the breakdown, everyone, right here on Canadian Football Perspective. Know what's funny about that clip uh, where <laughs> I think it's, you say, is it Shaq Evans uh, that makes the, or is it the Kyron Moore catch that's the miraculous grab that goes through somebody's hands? You yeah, can, Kyron. Yeah, okay, you can hear somebody in the background. I've never realized this ever before about that, but you can hear somebody giggling. In the, is that does Luke Mullender giggle? Is that a thing that happens in the booth when something ridiculous goes down? Because I just realized for the first time we've been doing this podcast since uh, February. Here yeah. we are. Here we are in August. I just listened to that, and there's somebody like laughing at the top of their lungs in the background, and you can hear it twice. It's amazing. I try to think. Luke will go house call. He's done that when a Lucha's uh, Purifoy return against BC. You can hear him go uh. Sometimes he'll just grow like he'll go uh <laughs> because he knows that this is about to be a huge play. Like the guy's at the forty, but he's going all the way to the end zone. He can just see it coming. He'll he'll uh, yeah. He'll occasionally make sounds. Giggling is not one of Luke's strong points. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. The grunt makes more sense based on his general demeanor. It seems like uh, on the broadcast at times, but uh, a lot of fun for everybody out there in Saskatchewan, of course. And uh, we hope that whether you are in BC, Saskatchewan, Ontario, Quebec, Atlanta, Canada, doesn't matter. Go to fox40shop.com and get yourself set up for a safe return to play. Of course, Fox 40, try their whistle masks. They're electronic whistle. They got coaches boards. They got all sorts of good stuff you want to check out. Use that promo code CFP15 at checkout. And uh, thank you to Fox 40. I should mention this right off the top. Be transparent with you. Fox 40 has bumped up their sponsorship of us in season because they know that, that our numbers have been strong in terms of downloads and subscribes and all these things on YouTube and on. So if you can just tweet at Fox 40 international or however you choose to send an email, a tweet, if you love CFP, just tweet them and say, thank you. Just, uh, just say thank you. And the best way you can say thank you is by buying some of their stuff and using our promo code. Cause that lets them know that you are of course listening and that you are hearing the promo code and that you are using it and celebrating uh, the products that they are selling in order to make their money so that they can invest it into things like us because they do support a lot of grassroots football uh, throughout the country as well. So thank you to Fox 40 for that. And of course, thank you. Just, I'm so excited uh, to DT about this. I, uh, in all honesty, getting ready for my first CFL and TSN game. I haven't had a beer other than having a Sawdust City beer with Sam Corbet on Thursdays. I don't know, probably three weeks, something like that. And which is for me, not <laughs> usual. Cause I, I just, once the season got going, it's just been so hectic. Right. But um, <laughs> there's not really a downtime on a Sunday to just like sit around in the sun and have four or five beers. So uh, I haven't had one, but I saw on Sada city's uh, Instagram page that they're finally releasing uh, the Lone Pine wine, the American style barley wine that I was told about back in March of this year that they said, we're messing around, we're trying something. And for people that are like, okay, it's, it's a, some sort of beer wine. Why is this cool? I'm just intrigued by craft beer and the fact that people like Sam Corbet just come up with ideas and they're like, yeah, I don't know. Sure. Let's, let's see where this goes. 
Uh, this beer is 11.2%. Uh, oh, <laughs> so I, when I saw that and he told me about it originally, cause I love Lone Pine, their, their beer. It's a great IPA that they have. And he was like, yeah, we're just going to like double it up and turn it into an 11% beer. And we're going to serve it in tall cans and we're going to call it Lone Pine wine. And I was like, I don't know what that's going to be like, but I'm intrigued. So anyways, if you want to use the promo code as well for them and show them that uh, that they are a big supporter of us and have been since day one, go to their website, of course, sawdustcitybeer.com and use that promo code. Uh, it is CFL to get free shipping on your order over a hundred bucks. Uh, I haven't looked at what the price point is on Lone Pine Wine. It's probably not cheap, but I also think you're not going to need more than one. So <laughs> it's uh, it's not going to uh, to take much out of your uh, your wallet, thankfully. Uh, you guys out there in Saskatchewan are buzzing. I know I had a lot of fun being back on the sports cage with you today, as always on Tuesdays. And uh, man, just the excitement around town, is it palpable right now at 3-0? Or are people waiting to get through Labor Day? Are people tentative because... It's like you're waiting to see what happens with Edmonton and, and the COVID season stuff. I mean, I just I want to know what the, what the vibe is out there. Oh, it's all sunshine and roses here, right? Once Good. Winnipeg lost in the game before the Riders played Ottawa, you went, "Oh, winner! This is three and zero, and we're playing the Red Blacks. Oh, baby, undefeated. Let's roll!" So yeah, <laughs> they rolled through Ottawa pretty handily, and everything feels pretty great. Like what a way to go into a bye week. Yeah, off of three straight wins. And knowing that the team you're going to play on the other side of the bye week has a has a potentially a tough game in the middle, or at least a troublesome game uh, in the middle, that's a great feeling for the Riders. So everybody here is pretty jacked about this whole thing. Yeah, as they should be. Again, and it's uh, I feel bad. I actually forgot that they were on a bye week going into week four. But yeah, I mean they get the extra time to set up Winnipeg. So you basically get a week as a coaching staff to prepare for a team you played back to back. And yes, things will get tweaked a little bit here and there, but in terms of personnel, they probably already have the personnel of Winnipeg down. They've pre-scouted and all the rest, but the idea of going into that, that game and having that much time to be able to get it down, that's to me, even in a normal week without a buy leading into it, that's what makes Labor Day so special is there's such a singular focus on how do we take advantage of uh, you know, Dietrich Nichols at boundary half. Yeah. How do we get to DeAndre Alford? Okay, let me see the tendencies. Let me see where he jumps. Let me see. Okay, how did Toronto score that double move touchdown to Devaris Daniels? Maybe we throw something like that in, but we throw him to the post instead. And we'll, like that's, I love that about football game planning going in. And they've got such a great opportunity to do that, like you say, based on their schedule. Yeah, absolutely. And Winnipeg doesn't have that near same advantage. Winnipeg's got some injuries in key spots and maybe things will change for them over the next three weeks as they wait to play the Riders twice. But yeah, when uh, as Jason Moss scripts out his plays for the beginning of the game, you just can't wait to see them dragging this guy over here and that yeah. one here and see what's going to happen with this. And then we'll see who they who they ultimately think is is the place to uh, the, the, the weak link in the chain, the one they can get after. Because if there is one, Jason Moss is certainly going to find it. Who do you think it would be? Not to dive into a Labor Day preview because we'll go in depth on that next mm. week, but you've watched all the games just like I have. And I'm looking across the board. You got uh, Nick Taylor over there at field half, I believe. And you got Brandon Alexander, uh, who had that big collision with Devaris Daniels this week in Toronto. Boundary halfback, like I say, you got uh, you got uh, Nichols coming over. Uh, that is from uh, the XFL previously, and then DeAndre Alford as well. So, like, it, there's a couple of names out there that are relatively fresh. 
who's Kyron Moore going to be matched up on yeah. over into the field, I think is a question as well. Like, will they just try to play him down with Nick Taylor? Cause Nick's physical, but I don't know if he's going to be able to cover down the whole game man to man. If they decide to play it that way against uh, Moore. Yeah. Alford's by our numbers, Alford's getting gotten a little bit this season, 70% completion against for 10 yards of target. That's a, that's a nice number. That's something that Jason Moss will certainly uh, pay attention to the the thing with Saskatchewan that they really showed and granted this is all against Ottawa but they lose Shaq Evans and they didn't really have a problem with that which is remarkable when you consider Shaq Evans was one of the top five receivers in the league this past season but oh here's some Kean Schaefer Baker in his debut oh by the yeah. way don't forget about Braden Lenius they got Kyron Moore 10 targets it only you know resulted in 41 yards so not amazing uh, production there, but you clearly know, hey, we, we have Kyron Moore when we need him. Oh, let's slip William Powell out of the backfield since he's not running the ball real well. Let's uh, throw him open a little flare pattern. And oh, by the way, I mean, we'll, the one thing we'll wait to see is what how's Jordan Williams Lambert. He took a real shot to the head in that game. He made a terrific catch, but took a shot to the head in the Ottawa game. And we won't know till next Wednesday when they get back to practice how he's doing. That could be a that could be a loss because now you're going even further into your reserves of talent to to find an American receiver there when you've already got Paul McRoberts running. Yeah, that could be tough for sure. I, th- I think they'll find a way. They'll move around. Like you say, I, it's amazing because I had even forgot that Kane Schaefer Baker was uh, in that group because they've had such a great group of uh, of receivers and the Canadians across the board. Like, you know, Lenius is is basically a ratio breaking receiver at, at this point. The way that he's been able at this uh, moment, yeah, yeah, to attack and and I, I you look around the room and Picton is playing. I think above what people probably expected going into the season. Haven't heard a lot from Jake Hardy, but he's doing a lot of good work in a lot of other places where the statistics are not going to show up. So, yeah, they've they've got a lot going for them. I would say right now. You asked me on your show today whether or not I thought that they were uh, a a favorite going forward or the best team in the CFL, and I just Winnipeg's a very talented team. Winnipeg could win one of those two games, could win both of those games against Saskatchewan when they come back. I still think Saskatchewan's a better team at this point. I do. And uh, and it's it's tough because Zach had looked so good going into Toronto. I thought he was just going to eat with Darvin Adams coming back. And yeah. that, that was not true. I mean, he struggled. <laughs> there, there were so many two and outs. I was actually surprised in my prep for that game because I was doing a rehearsal game for TSN on that game. And I was doing the research and the number of two notes that Winnipeg has is really yeah. interesting to me because that's not something that I, I associate with them just in terms of my mental. You know, when somebody says Winnipeg football, I say, well, they beat you up up front and they create havoc on their defensive line. Like that's the first two things out of my mouth. But two notes are a bit of an issue for them at this point with their off. They have a hard time getting into a rhythm when they do, like in the fourth quarter against Toronto. They can just chip, 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 chip and go down the field and score a touchdown against you and make it look easy. But they couldn't find that mm-hmm. rhythm at all on Saturday. And the other one that jumped out to me that I thought was intriguing, and I, this one I kind of knew, but the actual numbers behind it were interesting. Average depth of target for Zach Claros on first down going into that game was like 4.17 on first down. Mm-hmm. On, on second down, I don't have the exact number in front of me. I don't have my play sheet on me, but it was over 10. Like it's significantly yeah. high. It's like on first down, the bombers say to Zach, Hey, we need you to play our style of football, whether or not Andrew Harris is in it's Lapo to Buck Pierce to, Hey, it's conservative. It's smart. It's three pronged football. Defense is going to make some plays for us. Like Jeff Coke getting a forced fumble and 
you know, ending up having Mills return it back to the house. It's like, this is the way we want to play football. But on second down, when we're in needed, just go crazy. Just do Zach stuff. Uh, and that's why when you talked about Claros Island a couple weeks ago, I, I said to you, yeah, I'm a big fan of that because it's like he's two different quarterbacks. It's almost like you have two guys on your roster. You can only dress two quarterbacks this year. Well, it feels like Winnipeg's dressing three because they're dressing first down Zach, yeah. second second down Zach, and Sean McGuire is the short yardage quarterback on third. So uh, it's it's fun to see him go to work on second, but it was intriguing to me how careful he is on first down at this point going into that game. I was just looking so through, is this through three games, 8.5? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, nope. Yeah, on first down, depth, depth of target. So through three games, 7.8. That's very, yeah, that is not Zach because I have him at over – and almost 12 on yeah. all downs, which is enormous in the Canadian Football League. Like Vernon Adams is blowing the doors off this year because yeah. uh, Montreal just feels like, you know, we're just going to YOLO this thing all over the yard. <laughs> uh, and Vernon, I have to undelete uh, some data. I just deleted, but Vernon is over. Oh, c- I, c- control ZDT. You work too hard on that stuff, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. That's, <laughs> I, I learned very valuable data preservation techniques this offseason, so I'm very happy that I can't lose all my stuff possibly. Good. I'm, I'm very happy that Vernon Adams, 15.5 air yards per target for, per attempt this season. That's yeah. insane. That's crazy. And, I mean, every pass in that final drive, right, this week was 27, 35, 40 yards downfield. Just, just bonkers. And lead to a sub 50% completion day. But uh, yeah. the Winnipeg's just as a final one for me on the Winnipeg SAS thing, uh, Winnipeg's defensive line obviously causes enormous problems for everybody. Saskatchewan's offensive line, it looks fine, but it's not their strength by any stretch. You can go through plays and see, okay, well, that guy got beat, but it didn't matter because the ball was out so fast. Yeah. Uh, Winnipeg's offensive line is a real strength too. So Jonathan Woodard's five sacks and AC Leonard wrecking the league okay what can they do if that doesn't happen because stanley bryant and jamarcus hardrick are still monsters in my mind how does what what then happens for the bomber or pardon me for the riders very curious to see how that plays out uh, both here and then in winnipeg the next week yeah absolutely and i'll say this as well just to kind of round out what happened with va is uh i rewatched that game as well and i I tweeted it out, but I did not appreciate how much fun he was down the stretch. And I know that he's a fun late game player and he likes to take his risks. And, but the touchdown pass that he throws to Quan Bray, when you watch mm-hmm. it in the, in the fourth quarter, a couple minutes left in the game, when you watch it the first time from the normal standard broadcast view, you kind of go like, Oh, that, that was a weird one. I can't believe Quan Bray caught that. And then they show, and I want people to see this, they show an end cut, right? So from behind Vernon Adams Jr. And he takes his drop out of the shotgun. A little lane opens up to the right guard spot. And so he kind of like steps forward in the pocket, gets his shoulders lined up. And then basically, for those of you that are golfers, hits a flop shot from three yards away where it's like he, <laughs> the hole is right in front of his face. And he's like, you know what I'm going to do with this? I'm going to pitch it about 40 feet in the air and let it drop yeah. 60 yards away from me. So it wasn't quite that shallow, but it was, it was this amazing, I paused it several times. And the first thought that I had when I was trying to assess how interesting the throw was, was a, I would not ever consider making that throw because 
there's nothing there. And now it turns into a touchdown, which again goes to show that these guys just think it a different way or they just they see through defenses and they're willing to take more risks. But for me, like I'm going, Matt Nichols ain't making that throw. He's not trying that throw. Like Trevor Harris is not trying that throw because that throw does not promise you anything. That throw screams to me danger at all turns. It's like when Jake Meyer yeah. tries to throw a a, a running back screen to Kadeem oh. Carey in the middle of the field in the second quarter that ends up getting intercepted. And he's leading him upfield six yards right into a middle linebacker. And I'm watching that live. I'm going, I I would not try that throw. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So uh, seeing Vernon make that throw, believe that he knows how to make that throw, and see it turn into a touchdown, I'm like, okay. And then there's plays afterwards on that final drive where He's scamper, scampering away from defenders, creating time, creating space, throwing the ball off kilter. I mean, the whole thing is just, he is such an interesting late game player. And I'm not breaking any news with that. It's just, when you see it for real, you, you start to realize, like, there's not a lot like that in the CFL right now. And part of it is that he's the evolution of quarterback. And another part of it is that he's a throwback. Like he's this weird. He's just he's just not of this time in the CFL where it's the mm. Ricky Ricky Ray era has transitioned into the Trevor Harris Michael Riley era of put the ball here and there and here and there and flats and curl and flats and curl and skinny and corner and flats and curl. It's just it's always it's so formulaic at this point. And Vernon just doesn't give a damn. <laughs> it's amazing to watch. I. Watching the end of that game, I kind of wish he would have given a damn though, because <laughs> yeah. the the end of that drive, uh, and this is the final drive of the game, it was exactly the problem I have with Vernon Adams as a whole, and why I think Vernon Adams regresses this season when people expect him to climb and be MLP level. I absolutely didn't. And the end of that drive, he's he's doing incredible stuff to stay alive in the pocket. You're going, this is unbelievable. And then a man is wide open in the end zone, just behind the goalpost, and he one hops it to him five, I know. You know, four yards short. You're like, you you have to make that play. If it's well, his feet weren't set. Yeah, you have to get your feet set, and you have to throw that ball. And then the Geno Lewis touchdown that would have won the game, except for he puts it two yards short, and Geno has to reach out of the end zone to even make a play on this ball. And Geno knows, hey if this wasn't the final play of the game, I could just go up there and get it, but it is. I have to have my feet in the end zone, puts him in an awful spot. And if anybody, I just, it, that's on that's on Vernon in my mind, and that's an inaccurate pass that yeah. if that ball's accurate, they win the game because Gino is at the, point, the pylon going, yep, I'm here, let's win the game. And the quarterback drags him out of the end zone. I go, that is, that overall is just kind of my, my trouble with Vernon is, Though his accuracy numbers this season, based on his depth of target, aren't out of line for his career, they're they're not good. Hmm. And to me, there's just all these examples of what he can do, right? The beginning of that game, boom, boom, bang, 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 touchdown, we're good. We're up 14-0. And then it's a long, cold winter for three and a half more quarters. And that's that game kind of encapsulated what I love about Vernon and why ultimately I don't think Montreal is super successful this year. Yeah, it's interesting as well because, you know, I think some of us choose to remember the bad over the good. And I don't mean us, I, I mean in general. A lot of people will oh, say, sure. will say, you know, that he, uh, he, you know, he can't make the throws consistently. I tend to remember the interesting 
different unique plays because you don't see enough of them in the CFL at times. And he makes a lot of those, but you're right because yeah. in the, in I forget if it was the third or the fourth quarter, but in that second half, there's a throw on second and eight, second and nine, where there's an in-breaking, you know, 14 yard dig route into the boundary, which by the way, weird when I put together the target chart on VA from this week, everything was thrown down the hash mark that he was taking the snap from. It's like if, oh. he, if he was in Madden vision back in the day, and it used to be, you know, Brady and Manning could basically see the entire field and they'd be accurate everywhere. And then, you know, Kyle Bowler would be like a pencil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you were to to look at where he actually targeted, and these will be up on our, uh, our website coming up for you on Wednesday. I'll have them up when you're listening to this podcast. If you want to go check out cfperspective.com, I'll put a, I'm going to start doing a weekly article, just a little, uh, you know, here's the target chart for this quarterback this week. And here's a quick thought on it. And then next quarterback, next thought, next quarterback, next thought, so that everybody can kind of get that and, and take a look at what I'm looking at. But uh, mm-hmm. when, when I saw him throwing down that hash, oh, look at that. Wow. It was, he was peppering the hash, right? If you go from, you know, snaps taken from the right hash on throwing plays. And I, I, again, I haven't separated it to actually look at the targets, but as I was tracking the game, I was going, what the hell? He's, he's like exclusively throwing the ball in a four yard window, two yards to the left of the hash and two yards to the right. But the point I bring up this dig route is he had one of those that was in breaking from the boundary towards that, that near hash. And, Mm. and same thing on second and eight, he, he just skips it like six yards short and you're just going is it just late game mechanics? Is it footwork? I mean, the, on the final play of the game, go back and watch his drop back. Like the, with one second left on the clock when they need it on third and 10, mm. he almost falls over because his heels click. Like he's sometimes he just does stuff where I'm, I'm with you, DT. It's befuddling because he's so creative and imaginative and unique. But man, if he could just nail down the mechanics to be able to put the ball exactly where he wants. And there's times where he misses a throw and you'll see him walking back to the huddle and like calming himself down. You see him come out for drives this year where it's big breath in, big breath out, step into the huddle. And I like all of those things. I really do. It's just to me, if, if you're doing all of these breath control and heart rate control things and talking to yourself and that that's great. But if you're still missing throws on second and seven when a dude's wide open, it's like, well, what the hell's the point? Well, and yeah, he, and he's not new to the professional football, right? He's been around yeah. for a long time. I was in a, a chat with a group, and we're a group of folks who are gambling on the CFL. And I said, imagine if Vernon Adams was an accurate passer. And a guy responded, he'd be Russell Wilson. And I went, <laughs> honestly, yeah. Like, because all those great things that Russell does, Vernon can do those. Yeah. But when it's getting the ball from me to Marshall, he, he, whatever is going on in all of that, he doesn't do the requisite things that Cody Fajardo does to get the ball there or Jeremiah Masoli at his best does to get the ball there. Guys who are mobile and can evade the rush and can do that cool stuff. Uh, but it's, it's the part from getting the ball from you to the, the receiver that ultimately means something as opposed to, hey, I can keep the play alive for a long time. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, just before we tee up what's coming up for you in uh, in week number four of the CFL, the three-game week, because the Edmonton Elks uh, have put themselves in a, in a dumb spot. 
What are what are we thinking? Like they had like a uh, one of those uh, apple dunk things. Like they just had one of those to celebrate the win, or what? See, like- I've I've been thinking a lot lately about things that are canceled, uh, and not necessarily people <laughs> or celebrities, but things that we used to do that are never coming back because of COVID. And I don't mean until COVID is gone or under control, or everybody's got all their boosters and three shots. And I don't mean that. I mean like we are never ever going back to doing like the communal bobbing for apples the the fact that we ever did that is so disgusting based on the fact that like i don't know if i'm ever going to take the mask off my face the way this thing is going like 50 years from now people won't know what my teeth look like which hey is probably a pretty good thing because i'm scottish uh but i I, like i feel like i'm (laughs) gonna probably stick with the mask longer than i need to because it's just i'm i'm still terrified of something going sideways here despite the fact i've got all my vaccinations and all the rest and uh and yeah the idea of that i'm trying to think like what are some other things that you think will never return because another one for me that i i hate to say this but like i'll never go back to a public gym just never oh are you serious i'll never go i like and part of it was that i invested in a home gym during the pandemic I like working out at home way more. I'm not distracted. There's not people wandering around. There's not people in my way. I don't have to wait for weights. And of course, the reason I'm saying that because of the pandemic, I've learned this is like, I'm never going back to a gym because I don't want to trust that somebody around me is healthy and that their sweat doesn't have some rash or something like I've basically turned into Howie Mandel. That's what COVID has done to me where I just like, I'm carrying sanitizer everywhere and putting it on it. I just, I don't know if there's uh, some of these things I used to do consistently normally I'm I'm going to go back to anytime soon. Strange. Yeah, I wonder what the buffet restaurant uh, forecast <laughs> is. Uh, I yeah. I've, like I have a friend grabbing... who wouldn't go to buffets in in regular times. So now he's never JP never going back. Never going <laughs> to one ever. Uh even grabbing like the communal spoon uh to like get oh. things from the buffet is now I'm looking I'm like everybody touched that <laughs> like we've we've just been taught these things so yeah maybe i think that's what edmonton did they either went bobbing for apples they went to a public gym when they shouldn't have uh or they went to a buffet we'll we'll just put it at that for them yeah that's i'm sure that's what happened maybe uh, strip club chicken wings like uh <laughs> what's his name from the nba maybe strip oh, club yeah. chicken wings uh there. lemon pepper Blue. Blue. yeah oh the elks yeah Uh, we won't go too far down that the cfl needs to take this very seriously the the travel thing that ambrosi came out with on this tuesday though is really interesting because it is um i mean you're gonna have teams putting players on buses at this point or driving themselves or like because you're not going to be able to fly via transport canada for those that didn't hear um as of a certain point i don't know when the date is when it comes in but if you're not going to be able to travel via plane, then everybody was saying, well, just charter. I mean, teams got money, guys got money. Some teams have charters specific. So charters, they should be exempt. They should be able to fly all over the place. Well, apparently charters are not going to be exempt from this based on what Ambrosi said very clearly to Dave Naylor in an interview that you can check out on tsn.ca. And uh, I mean, if that's the case, then, you know, I, I live in Ontario and I'm calling the game in Ottawa. I'll be driving to Ottawa this week. And I could fly, but like I kind of like driving. And it's also a nice drive to go to Ottawa. You go 416 to 417. There's beautiful trees and it's a nice quiet yeah. highway. It's like I just I'm gonna do that drive. When I go to Toronto, I hop on the Go train, which by the way, I never thought I'd take the Go train again. 
it's so quiet. Nobody's on the go train. It's amazing. Uh, but uh, going to the go train, I mean, Hamilton is within reach of everything. Montreal is the same drive from Hamilton or Toronto that Ottawa is. It's just a different direction. You keep going down the 401. So the East is like, this just doesn't really affect them all that much when they're playing against the East and specifically in the playoffs. But let's say that, uh, you know, BC is a crossover team. If a crossover happens, which I don't think it will, but if they do, and BC has players that are not vaccinated. Is a guy from BC going to drive to Montreal? <laughs> like, that's, you can't. that's not a thing. Yeah, and you're just going to leave him there in case you go to the Grey Cup in Hamilton a couple weeks later. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just even even the even the thought of. I mean, you probably I assume you can't really let a player drive himself because of. I I feel like there would be liability concerns in there, but. You're going to get a bus for three guys. They better be three very important guys. They better be all-star level players if you have to go to the, the trouble of getting a bus for dudes or a stretch limo or whatever yeah. whatever would bring three guys to a football game six hours away, the Hamilton to real thing. Uh, guys are just going to get cut, honestly. Uh, anybody yeah. below, slightly above average, is just going to get cut. And when you do the math and you go – Eighty-five uh, percent would mean fifteen percent of the players are unvaccinated. Okay, so on a team that's carrying sixty guys, that's nine people. You better be the right nine. You better be one of the right nine people, or else you're getting cut. Because, yeah. as Dave Naylor tweeted later, he said, "I have nothing to confirm this, but I fully believe the CBA in 2022, the CFL is going to mandate that players be vaccinated." Yeah. So, why would I? Anybody getting signed? Like, when you look at the transaction wire, uh, as I do every day, every one of those guys has to be vaccinated, right? You wouldn't bring a guy up from the States no. if he's not vaccinated. If he didn't show you he was vaccinated, there'd be no point. Yeah, I'm not sure whether or not they're vaccinated changes their um, quarantine period if they're coming in fresh. But at the same time, there's not oh. a, there's not a lot of players that are... Uh, being signed off the street right now, which is making rosters less <laughs> less flexible, and it's harder to correct errors that are on your team. Like I, I have great confidence that based on what we saw the first two games from Hamilton against Winnipeg and Sask, that they would be wheeling and dealing American offensive linemen to try and figure out tackle <laughs> tackle situations, and they're not right. They, I mean, they've they've picked a couple of different pieces here, and we'll see when the depth chart comes out ahead of Friday night's game against Montreal in this week, but. Uh, they are not being as active as I, I would expect that you would you would see them be in a normal, typical year where you didn't have to worry about that latency period and you didn't have to worry about crossing the border and paperwork. and all. It, it's basically, I heard Jim Barker say the other day, it's essentially what teams usually go through in May or June of each year, trying to get guys into the country for training camp in a normal season, but it's the, okay. entire, but it's the entire season. Like the entire, because he said as a GM, the most frustrating part of the year was you build your roster, you plan on people coming. And then, like Martavius Bryant this year for the Argos, can't get across, doesn't show up. You know, there's all sorts of people that have different reasons, but that's frustrating to GMs because now they have to go, okay, open roster spot. Let's go back into the file. Okay, let me look at all my advanced scouting, talk to my director of US scouting, talk to my, and you have to be like, okay, who are we going to bring in? Because this person has a, a chance to make the team because the other guy had a chance to make the team. Um, to to have to go through all of that in season constantly as you're trying to win games yeah. and you're and you're trying to manage your own roster that's already in house man that is not a job that I would that's a that's a tough tough spot that all of the personnel directors across the CFL have right now 
Yeah, I, I think of the Riders' schedule, and the Riders do four home games to start the season. They'll play their fourth on Labor Day. So after that, they have three home games and seven away games. If you can't bring a guy to seven games yeah. out of ten, what why would you? What level of player would he need to be for you to bother with that? Like yeah. prime Darius Bowman, would I do that for him? <laughs> I don't. I, I kind of don't know. Twenty seventeen Darrell Walker. I. Maybe a super elite quarterback. Yeah, but that might just goof up everything else, right? West teams are going to be so heavy in East that they're going to be, if this comes through sometime in the fall, the West teams are going to be at a huge disadvantage because the possibility of a bus or some sort of road transportation, but not a train if you're going to cross a provincial border, it's going to be so heavily in favor of the East just because of the way the schedule has broken out and then geography. I don't know if uh, if there's an element of irony in this or poetic justice or what element you want to attribute this to, but I do find something funny, just because I'm always looking for the funny in things, whether or not they're actually funny, uh, that the CFL went to government and said, save us, save, right? Give it, can we need money? And here's the amount and back and forth and two years and up and down negotiations and single game betting. And this will help you guys. And let's do some side door money on this and that. And the government doesn't really come through. doesn't really help all that much. Doesn't really solve the issue that a lot of us hope that they would solve. And, uh, and then we start the CFL season in 2021 and you get a couple Mm -hmm. of weeks in and then you hear, well, the government transport Canada is basically going to mandate the thing that you were unable to. <laughs> and that to me that to me is kind of funny because it's not that they're saving the CFL season, but by putting these restrictions in on travel, they are limiting the amount of damage that is possible to the CFL and CFL rosters and CFL having fans in the stands. And, and so they're putting in these things that are actually going to help the CFL stay healthier now that they are off the ground. And it's, I mean, if the CFL would have put in this ruling by themselves, not that they would want to, but if they would have put in this ruling by themselves, all the teams lost their mind. All of the players, no way in hell. The CFLPA would have crushed them. Like it took the government laying down this ruling in order for the CFL to, I don't want to say hide behind it, but essentially for them to be like, well, okay, this makes things a lot more complicated, but not the worst thing. Cause now we're kind of like forcing people to try and get vaccinated so that we can continue regular season action consistently. And, uh, and I find that I think ironic is, is the best term I can come up with for it because the connection of the CFL and the government and helping versus hurting and the fact that we get off the ground and now they're, they're actively part of the solution we think for the remainder of 2021. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, it's it's important, I think, to remember who put these in place in each of the markets, right? The, uh, the Ontario teams did it for themselves. Calgary said, hey, we run the Flames and then we run the Stamps and the, the Roughnecks and the Hitmen, and we're telling you, you have to do this. You know, so that's them taking the initiative. So if you want to give credit, you want to give credit to whomever, just make sure we're given the appropriate credit slash blame to the right uh, the right group or government. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right. Let's uh, tee up here a little bit on week number four in the Canadian Football League. Again, three games uh, because Edmonton, Toronto not happening. I would have been interested to see what that uh, that Toronto matchup would have looked like. Because there uh, it was weird how loud BMO was when I was there on Saturday with nine thousand some odd people. It was like 
I couldn't believe the amount of, uh, of reverberation maybe that gets created by me <laughs> or the amount of noisemakers that Argos passionate fans bring in. But they are, I mean, the people that love the Argos, they know how to make noise, even without having the massive numbers. So, which I've always known, but it, feeling it in person is just different, especially when you haven't felt crowd noise of any type for two years. It, it hits you a little harder. I'm sure you had that moment in week one in Saskatchewan as well, where you hear the roar of a crowd and you're like, oh, man, that's been a while. Oh, bring him out for game number one was yeah, just what you thought it would have been. It was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Thursday night is off the docket. Friday, it is Hamilton right now at 0-2 going in to take on Montreal. What do you have your eye on in this one? What should people be watching for? Who's going to be a quarterback for Hamilton is the big one for me. Jeremiah has been limited in practice the last couple of days. So is it Jeremiah? Is it Dane Evans? And I'm not kicking the door down if I'm a Ticats fan to see Dane Evans go in there because he was he wasn't uh, he wasn't Nick Arbuckle when he got into the game right in his relief effort he was three of ten and didn't do much in the way of moving the ball against the Riders so there's not a pressing we need to switch now but Hamilton I mean I still would say their roster is probably the best roster in the CFL they just don't have access to it yet uh, gosh they're gonna get. It looks like they're going to get Adela K back. Uh, is it Roll, who was also on the injury list, who looks good? Uh, I haven't seen Dylan win on the injury report, so hopefully that means he is good to go, but I don't know his status. Yeah. And it's a few weeks away from the receivers being back. But as they get healthier and healthier, Hamilton is just going to get better and better, in my mind. And Montreal looks great in flashes and looks great against Edmonton was not particularly good in that week two matchup. Montreal is not a team without holes. So this this is a chance for Hamilton to steal one. Whether they're strong enough as currently constituted to steal one from Montreal is, is a different story because Montreal is really good in some places. Like receivers and stand back and the offensive line, even with four Canadians, looks pretty good. Montreal is uh, Montreal's got some real solid parts to that team. Yeah, I the thing that I'm interested in is if Masoli plays, and I, I think that he, if he's healthy enough to play, you you start Jeremiah and you give him an opportunity. Now, if he's damaged goods and you're just setting him up for failure, then obviously that's there's there's no way that that should be the equation for a guy that you have such respect for. But um, if he does play, I want to throw this out there again from the target chart stuff that I've put together and and see if your stuff matches up with me on this DT through two games between the hashes. Right, 17, okay. 17 yards of glory from 24 yards off one sideline to 41 yards off the other sideline. 17 yards in there. Jeremiah Masoli does not have a completed pass between the hash marks beyond six yards, I believe is what I had a couple of weeks ago when I was crunching after that, that loss against Saskatchewan. If you look at his total targets, uh, I was stunned by this. I'm going, there, the, whole, the whole middle of the field? The whole middle of the field, no completions beyond six yards. I might be off by a yard or two, but that that jumped yeah. out to me where I was trying to figure out, I understand that they've got some protection issues, which is likely causing them to not have the time to stretch the ball down the middle of the field. I understand that defenses are probably playing relatively safe with a free safety in the middle because you only have to rush four to get pressure at this point because the offensive line is struggling. I understand they don't have Deere Posey. I understand that Brown Addison's not in there. It looks like Brandon Banks has been banged up. So there's a lot of reasons why I think I saw that on target charts, but it still doesn't make sense because Jeremiah Masoli is one of those quarterbacks, kind of like Vernon we were talking about earlier, who 
he can buck trends whenever he wants to because he has that talent and that that football charisma where you think to yourself you should just put the ball there because that's what the other seven eight quarterbacks in the CFL do and Jeremiah will just throw it behind his back running the opposite direction into the middle of the field like he puts the ball in places you don't expect but uh for him to not have a completion over the middle of the field at that depth I was like whoa uh, 41 incomplete, 17 incomplete, 16 intercepted, 12 incomplete, eight incomplete. He completed a six yard hitch to Pappy White. Was this one pass across the middle? Exactly like you said, six yards downfield is the deepest one between the hash mark. And I'm even including like the out, very outside of the hash marks. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's remarkable. It's weird. It's very strange. And so that's something that I, I want people to look for if Jeremiah plays. If Jeremiah doesn't play, I'll just give you a bonus one here. I had someone tell me, anybody who's listened to me on this podcast or on radio in Hamilton previously knows, I have a weird love affair with Brandon Revenberg. I just think he's, Mm. I think his body type is, it's so throwback. He's so physical. He's got great feet. Like he's, Mm. uh, I I love him. So. uh, Tell me more about his body type, Marshall. uh, He Mm. is. I love fire hydrant offensive guards. I love it. Like any, because you're going up against, you know, Willie Jefferson twists inside and he, not only does he have the reach advantage, he can reach past two of you, like stacked up side by side, but Mm -hmm. you, but you still find a way. And that's kind of what Brandon Revenberg is. It's just athletic and, and quick feet and smart and knows how to read. But for all those things, and I love Rev, I had somebody tell me a couple of years ago that his boogeyman is Woody Barron. (laughs) Oh, okay. And they said, and it's always been something that I've been interested in since. I've always watched Woody Barron and Brent Redford. This person that told me, it wasn't on the offensive line, wasn't on the Ticats coaching staff, just somebody around the league who had watched a lot of film. And they told me that if you watch closely Montreal Hamilton matchups, for some reason, the only player Brandon Reffenberg has serious trouble with is Woody Barron. <laughs> and so when I saw that, I was like, ah, I don't know. That feels like a weird one, maybe. And then you watch back the games, you're like, oh, he does kind of struggle in this matchup. So if Dane plays, watch Rev against Woody. If Jeremiah plays, uh, see if he can complete a ball beyond six yards past the line of scrimmage over the middle of the field. Those are my two go-tos. I like that. That's good stuff. There you go. Uh, Rev right. and Woody Barron. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't expect you were going to get that from the uh, the breakdown today, but uh, yeah, let's Rev and Woody coming soon on HBO Max. <laughs> It'll be a children's book if Woody gets a hold of it. But, yeah. uh, let's take a look at uh, the game that I will be calling actually uh, coming up on Saturday. Very excited to do that. BC and Ottawa. I don't have anything super insightful for this because I've spent so much time looking backwards. I I already know that my Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday are going to be dedicated to preparing for this game. But what are you looking for, DT? I will uh, I will lend this one to you wholly. Uh, I would, if I was making the lines, and uh, folks I, I talked to and folks in my little gambling cadre, I told them to pound Matt Nichols under 212.5 against the Riders because it was just not going to happen. The over-under for Matt Nichols' passing yards in this game is going to be... It should be about 170 because BC can cover. Yes. Man, that back six for BC, they can cover. I had a a guy tell me, oh, I mean, we know about Gary Peters and TJ Lee, and we know about Marcus Sales. They moved him to safety, which is a cool move. Uh, Teams are going with American safeties this year. But he said, hey, uh, they love Keontae Harden, number 37. I thought, oh, okay. 
that guy was all over everybody in the BC yeah. game against the Riders. He and then the a couple of games since then, 15-9 versus Calgary. Like they're on, like he is on people. That whole back six can really cover. So I then wonder. Well, Obam Guachem is uh, is their star defensive end, their, their best defensive end. He's, what, third in the league in quarterback pressures, I think, by my count. That, that defense can get after you. And honestly, having seen a full game and called a full game of that Ottawa offense, they, don't, they didn't have anything. Um, they got R.J. Harris isolated on the weak side linebacker. He beat them for 45 yards. They were able to do some stuff in the run game, cool, but 40 yards in the run game, I honestly, in the CFL, I don't care about. I, I really don't. If it's 200, give me, you know, we'll talk about it. But they were able to hit two plays, and Nichols, Matt Nichols threw some balls that were, they were, they were just, they were silly. I don't, I can't fathom why you thought a looping ball was going to get there before a seven-year CFL veteran, Ed Gainey, is just going to come over and hoover it up and take it out of bounds. I don't get what he was doing. I don't get what they were trying to do. It was, Ottawa's offense is not working. And are they going to break nine points in that game is honestly, ultimately the thing I'm going to watch because that BC defense is good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if BC's offense can put up any points because they're super hit and miss, but that BC defense is good. Well, on behalf of uh, myself, Dwayne Ford, and Matthew Shinetti, fingers crossed uh, <laughs> that they you'll will. Take, <laughs> you'll take the Dustin Nielsen mantle, right? Because he didn't have he had a quarterback sneak touchdown in his first two weeks of games. That was it. That was yeah. it for offensive touchdowns. He was cursed. He was great at calling interceptions. Maybe I should go back and watch that Dustin tape of the Calgary Ottawa week one game from 2019 and just see how he approached all the turnovers. And uh, we'll hope that that doesn't happen. But if it does, we yeah. will be prepared for it. But yeah, the the quarterback, I found this to be, you know, this isn't necessarily a what to watch for, but just a, a note that I was kind of intrigued by was we know the struggle that Michael Riley had in week one with his arm and just how uncomfortable he looked. And I joked about it being the greatest game in the history of receivers catching passes that should not be caught because they had to fight back seven yards to each ball because they were nine yards under thrown because he just couldn't get it there. And yep. I, I, I'm not smart enough medically to know what was happening there. You know, for me, I've heard of guys having a dead arm and it being weak or it being, you know, an elbow or a wrist or a finger thing. And it comes out weird, but like Mike, Michael Riley was throwing the ball in week one as hard as he could, and it was traveling 25 yards in the air, wobbling upside down, like end over end. And it was just, oh, yeah. I, I don't know how a ball does that when you're trying to throw and you're a professional football quarterback. I found it amazing. Week three, first play, they motion Lucky Whitehead from the boundary over to the field, give him a 40-yard start of a sprint to get his speed going, and then just throw him a go route on the very first play of the game. After And I'm like, it came out. So nice, such a sweet spiral, good ball placement. And then the next throw, Riley throws it like 35 yards. So the first two plays, there's 80 total air yards for Riley to kick off that game. And that's where, <laughs> I, that's where I'm like, they, they probably knew these weren't going to be completed, but these were very clearly just firing a cannon into the abyss to let the entire CFL know, hey, remember uh, this thing that was a little messed up week one? Yeah, it's good. It's fine now. So I'm just going to start throwing the ball 50 plus yards with great consistency again. Uh, and it's again, he got away with some throws. I thought in that game against Edmonton on Thursday night, unfortunately didn't get away with enough throws because they didn't come out with the victory in their home opener, which they should have because if Brian Burnham 
actually gets the ball where he wants it down the right sideline with a couple of minutes to go on their final possession. It's the final throw that Riley made in that game. It goes incomplete. If he gets that ball, then maybe it's a different story. And we're not talking about Edmonton, you know, being one and two and having COVID issues. Maybe we're talking about them being 0 and three and having COVID issues. So, uh, but, but yeah, Riley's arm and the strength, if you're going to take shots, it might be against this defense, but Benavides knows that man and Benavides is going to, He's either going to heat him up or he's going to play coverage or he's going to, I think he's going to use some of the stuff that he did against Darrell Walker and Greg Ellingson in week one against, uh, if I had to guess, I would say Brian Burnham and and Lucky Whitehead because they've been the dynamic ones so far. I don't think that they're too concerned about yeah. rhymes necessarily uh, from BC, but I mean, yeah, maybe that's my what to watch for is is what what happens with that Ottawa defense against Burnham and Whitehead because man, did they ever do a great job against Ellingson and Walker in week one. I had to check because Dominic Rimes was what? Six of six for 76 in week number one. Uh, Since then, seven targets, two catches, 10 yards. Uh, BC needs to get that going because Dominic Rimes is infinitely better than that. That was the, uh, the opposite of DeVars Daniels' stat line. Like, going into week yeah, three, DeVars right. Daniels was like 11 targets for three catches, and then all of a sudden he bursts for whatever he did in this past game. But I went into that game, you know, I'm asking myself as I'm getting ready to do the call, what's what's wrong? What's what's happening here? And then the yeah. game starts, and I'm like, nothing's wrong. Um, he's he's fine. He's, he's all over the place. And very maybe it was just a connection thing that, McLeod Bethel Thompson didn't have with him and Arbuckle did. I don't know. I I'm like I said, I'm writing an article for CFL.ca on the Argos receivers. So that's a question. Maybe I should try and answer that one. But uh, the last game of the weekend here in week four, Winnipeg, Calgary. What are you looking at, DT? Uh, let's start this with trivia time. Uh, the leader in the CFL in quarterback pressures by our count uh, comes from this game. Hmm. Who is it? Uh, Mike Rose. Holy crap, you actually got it. Oh, my God. Hey, nice. I watch, a lot, of, I watch a lot of football. There you go. Holy cow. <laughs> I I feel like that would be been like the fifth choice for a lot of people. But, yeah, Mike yeah. Rose is I, the only guy I have in double digits so far this season. He's a guy <laughs> who I voted as an all-star in 19, uh, crushing it. And if you're putting Sean Lemon on the practice roster and you're running somebody else there and Remolade is not super healthy, you're going to need to get it from somewhere. And I think they're pretty thankful they're getting it from – from Mike Rose, their their defense, Calgary's defense seems to be holding up. Um, yeah. Well, it, it was, and then the Jake Mayer thing just kind of threw the whole world into a tizzy. Uh, I just, I want to see, I want to be able to sit down and watch Jake Mayer because I didn't get to see yeah, all true. of that game the first time around. Yeah, you but, were a, you were a busy man. You were a working man that night. Yeah, so I I kind of want to see what what that deal is all about. I love the thought of. Uh, it sounds like, and, and do correct me if I'm wrong, Marshall, uh, just had no conscience. Like, oh, I threw a pick. Okay, cool. Here we go. For, let's go for round two. Oh, I threw another pick? That And that screen pass you mentioned about 30 minutes ago was <laughs> – I don't know why you throw that. Uh, I don't know why a guy who had 11,000 yards in college th- thought that throw was a good idea. But anyway, he just kept going. And I love that because I, I'm the guy who would just – curl up in the corner and, and wait for the clock to tick down. So I love someone who was the opposite and like, yeah, screw it. Let's do it again. And that seems to be what Jake Mayer was all about. Yeah. Uh, spot, spot on. Uh, that's exactly what ended up happening with him. And I, I was just amazed by 
how, uh, you know, I talked to Danny Austin about him leading into last week on the A Block, and I, he said he's one of the best interviews I've ever done since I've covered the Stampeders. I'm like, okay, that's high praise because you've talked to a lot of guys over a lot of years down there. And he said he's just so genuinely excited for the opportunity. And then you kind of do uh-huh. the equation on his university t- statistics that you matter, like 88 touchdowns to 33 interceptions or whatever it was, 11,000 plus yards and all this stuff. And then you see his media availability and he's talking about like just being amped up and juiced. And, he's, and you go, okay, this is just like a California quarterback who could throw six interceptions in a first half, come back and throw six touchdowns in a second uh, is the sense that I get from him. He's very much that. And it's not, it's not that Michael O'Connor like slow and steady and I'll just figure it out as we go throughout the game. It's just him making plays like just whenever, but he did miss a lot of throws and that I actually had a Michael O'Connor. I had a Michael O'Connor is in the game tweet typed out, ready to press send. And then they came back from break (laughs) and they came back from break and he ran back out on the field. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to delete this though, because we're like one bad read away from him being out of this game. And then he drives length, the field scores a touchdown, and then everybody's celebrating how great he is, and he battled back into the game, and he took down Vernon Adams Jr., and uh, and I was like, well, okay, I never had to send out that tweet, but uh, I also thought there was this great moment that, go to my Twitter if you want to see this, at TSN underscore Marsh, I sent out the gif of it, uh, of one second left on the clock in that game for Montreal and Calgary. They go to a sideline shot of Bo Levi, which arguably, and Sask fans might disagree with this just because they despise him and think he's the devil. Uh, but I don't think anybody looks cooler on the sideline when injured than Bo. Like bandana, he could be rocking a hoodie, he could be V-net, whatever it is. Like the dude just always looks clean on the sideline when it, when he's out, which unfortunately the last couple of years has been more than we'd like. But, um, but he's on the sideline and it's amazing the evolution because I still think of Bo as the dude who's in the weight room when I walked into Stampeders training camp in 2013 with a Houston Astros baseball cap on backwards, lifting weights by himself, uh, who's just trying to prove that he can make it in the league. And there's this clip where Jake Mayer is like giggling and like just so happy to be on the CFL sideline and be soaking up. He's like, I'm the starting quarterback. We've got the lead. And he's like, there's one second left. And to your point about him just kind of weathering everything, he just seems so excited to be there and so happy to be a part of this all. And he leans over to Bo and I read his lips and he goes, this is my welcome to the CFL moment. <laughs> and you can kind of see Bo is like, yeah, whatever, dude. And kind of like wants to dismiss it. And yeah. then he, and then he gives the old, again, lip reading skills strong on, on the Marshman. Uh, and he gives, the, he gives this great response where he kind of like chuckles and then turns to Jake Mayer and says, you get used to it. Like, <laughs> like it's this classic CFL ending where you end up six inches outside of the goal line. We've already had two of those in the first three weeks of the season, right? Like there's been 12 games. Yeah. Two of them have come down to an inch away on the final play of the game because that's the CFL. And, and Bo gives this great response of like, you get used to it. And then just goes back to watching the final play of the game. And uh, it's, yeah, I, I don't really have a point to this rambling conversation. I just wanted to bring that up because I thought that it was such an amazing moment. And I'm like, man, the CFL is a content goldmine that, you know, F1 has capitalized on so much of this stuff of the personalities of the players and the behind the scenes and everything being mic'd up. Every time I see a sideline shot or a mic'd up, I, I just, I find these little things where I'm like, this league is awesome. <laughs> yeah. CFL wired Tuesdays on yes. TSN. 
Uh, just I, I pulled up some numbers on Mayer because I, I haven't had a chance to review what the, the guys charted. Uh, 10 points below expected in his completion percentage and eight points below expected in his accuracy. So yeah. it wasn't great, and it's skewed by what the 83-yarder, that 300 is the magic number he got there, but it did uh, – it, it wasn't – it wasn't great. Yes, I agree with it that. It was a win, but it, it was the QB wins, how I call QB wins with a Z, the sarcastic QB wins. He got one of those. Yes, uh, and I would say that just like my Mike Rose uh, assumption because of watching a lot of, of the game, I've watched that game through two, three times now, and everything you just said passes both the eye and the sniff test of, yeah, not real accurate and not great decision making and got bailed out a couple times and a couple times DBs just dropped interceptions and, and, and but win, I guess. And that's why, honestly, in the, in the CFP power rankings this week, Calgary just like went backwards. It was yeah. not it's because like the we're always thinking about the process and how they actually get to that spot. And they did not have a winning process. Uh, but man, there's also the, the last thing I'll say on on the episode today. There's this great clip of Dave Dickinson when that ball is completed at the one yard line where they go to a sideline shot and he sees going, no, 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 it's not complete. And then he realizes that they've called it complete. And uh, is it Bob Sloak that used to be the defensive coordinator in Montreal in 2019, who's in Calgary yeah. now? Bob Sloak's in his way and Dave like elbows Sloak out of the way because Dave, <laughs> for about half a second, Dave Dickinson looks like he is prepared to sprint down the sideline and start fighting someone about the fact that they're about to call that a touchdown. Uh, and it, again, it was just one of those great clips where you look at it and you're like, Dave knows that that probably wasn't win worthy, but I also don't know whether or not Michael O'Connor comes back and gets that win. If he gets off to a shaky start and to Jake Mayer's credit, he did. Cause he just, like you said, he has no pulse uh, and he just seems to be, <laughs> okay with whatever happens in that spot yeah it was it was a lot of fun i i would not wager on it happening a second straight week with winnipeg yeah but uh i've seen enough to know i've seen too much <laughs> there you go that's the perfect way to end the podcast for this week it is the breakdown he is at dt on sc check him out on the sports cage on 620 ckrm and your afternoons and evenings out there in saskatchewan and hey if you're a cfl fan honestly check in online they got a great live player you can uh, go there anytime and be able to uh, to follow it at TSN underscore Marshes, where you can find me at CF Perspective as well. We are back next week to tee up Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend, hopefully with an Edmonton-Calgary game to preview. 